And so whenever we don't get our own way, that's when things go south for us. We really want our own way. So we have a picture of that in Exodus as we see the people there, God's people, who are under this horrible situation. They're slaves there, and they're, they're being treated terribly by, by the Pharaoh, and, and he's treating them worse and worse the more that Moses comes to present his word to them. And so God sends Moses, and he gets the people, crosses through the river on dry bed, out the other side, they've been plundering the Egyptians, they've got all kinds of gold and silver. And so their attitude is, thank you for rescuing us. And maybe that's the attitude we have, right? Thank you for saving me, Lord, right? But what do they do? What do the Egyptians, I mean the uh, Israelites do? Thank you for rescuing us, we'll take it from here. I want to get back in control. And so what does God have to do then? Well, now they have to take this little delay of 40 years before they can enter into the promised land. And so what are they learning? They're learning that God provides for them day in, day out, when they have no ability to plant any crops or, you know, have any types of ways to feed themselves. And so they eventually come, though, to the promised land and they enter in because of God's grace. But they've had to learn to trust the Lord to let God be in control. And so this is what we're, we're addressing here this morning and how, how can we become content in our lives today when things aren't going our way. But the key word here is we have to learn it. I can't just sit down, read my Bible, and all of a sudden, man, I can be content. We have to learn how to subject ourselves to a holy God because he knows what's best. And he's the one who's leading us to our promised land, heaven itself. So these are key things. We have to learn how to be content. And how does God do that? He does it through the experiences. Just like he took the Israelites out of, the, uh, out of Egypt, they had to experience then going out into the desert. They had to go through these experiences in order to learn. And so how do we learn? Well, the same way, we have to go through some difficult experiences, but they're good for us because they're teaching us things, and we're growing in our understanding of that. And so, in the number one Christmas movie of all time, I bet some of you know who that is right, right now, right? It's a wonderful life, right? <laughs> okay, it's a wonderful life. And so, in that movie, George Bailey wanted to go to college. And he wanted to learn how to build beautiful and wonderful things. And he wanted to go all around the world doing that. And he had these big dreams, these wonderful dreams. But George Bailey never went to college due to circumstances, due to experiences. He never left Bedford Falls because of experiences and circumstances. But he learned how to get contentment. Because he learned over a series of experiences, for those of you who have seen the movie, one after another where he had to die to self in order that he could bless others. And so eventually he became very content by the end of the movie and he had all these loving relationships. But it wasn't the path 
that he had planned. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard, you know, you want to hear God laugh? Tell him your plans. <laughs> but his plans are the best plans for holiness. And also he wants us to be able to live out our lives in a way that we're content here now. So we need to learn how to be content. Now Paul had been through a lot of experiences. So he's speaking from his own experience. A lot of negative experiences and how he had learned how to be content over time because this is towards the end of his life. But he'd learned to be content when he had been given 40 lashes less one five times. Imagine going through that five times. Wow. Three times he had been beaten with rods. Once he was stoned and left for dead. Three times he'd been shipwrecked. He constantly faced danger on his journeys, danger from rivers, robbers, Jews, Gentiles, the wilderness, false brothers, cold, hunger, and thirst. This man knew what it meant to walk through a variety of different trials, and yet he'd learned contentment through these things. And so this is, this is him writing to us. These experiences were very necessary for Paul, and they're very necessary for us. But they're good. We're not to get discouraged by these things. We're to gain hope. C.S. Lewis wrote this. said, experience that most brutal of teachers, but you learn. My God, do you learn. And that's true. We learn through these experiences. And so life keeps changing for all of us. We go from one thing we've got under control, and all of a sudden a new experience comes. How do I adjust to that new experience? Life doesn't stay the same. The Greek philosopher, Erecletos, I know everybody knows who that is. <laughs> he said this, he said, no man ever steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river, and he's not the same man. Wow, that's pretty simple, but it gets the point across, doesn't it? So we need to keep learning how to be content in new circumstances. We need to keep looking to the Lord. We need to learn how to let go of control of our own lives and let God be in control. You know, this Holy Cross is going through this transition right now. This is new to Holy Cross. We, Pastor Rick was called by God to a new church in Florida. He's in control of that. Didn't happen by accident. But God's also got a new man that's being searched out. And he's going to be the man of God's own choosing as he works through the pastoral search committee. And so we trust God to do that. But sometimes we have what ifs. We have questions. Well, is he really going to be good? Is he going to be like Rick? Is he, you know, all these types of things. And no, he's not but he's going to be the right man for this congregation at this time. Can we trust? We have a lot of confidence in God working through the pastoral search committee. <laughs> and I'm so thankful for them. But we're learning how to be content through this experience. We're not worshiping the pastor. 
We're worshiping God who's in control of these things. So what does Paul mean by being content? Well, being content is an inward condition of our hearts. It's not the external circumstances in which we find ourselves. It's an attitude of trusting God and freely submitting to God's will, not our own will. It's accepting God's sovereignty over our lives. Be assured that it's God's desire that we always remain content in all of our changing circumstances. That's what he wants. When you turn to him, then you're going to learn contentment. You're going to trust him in these circumstances because he's a loving God. He's a God that we look at in terms of Psalm 23. He's our shepherd who delights in us, watches over us, protects us. So his desire is always to do that. So it's something we must learn. We're to learn from the Lord. So let's look together how we can learn to be content in all of life's circumstances. If you'd please stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians 4, 10 through 13, it's in the bulletin. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Okay, the first point on our sermon outline is learning how to be content when you are brought low. So we're going to see how to learn to do that. So Paul had been brought low, as we've already looked at that, and yet he was content as he wrote this letter as he's in Emperor Nero's prison and, uh, in Rome. And so part of Paul's contentment came from rejoicing in his salvation every day. Now, we've looked at this a little bit uh, in the past. So when we rejoice over what God has already given us by his grace, it helps us trust him because we have to look back and see what he's already done so we can trust him for the future. Now, that doesn't always ensure we can do that. We still have to grow in that as we face the new situations. But he's the God who wants us to be content He's the one who makes us lie down on green pastures and leads us beside still waters as he restores our soul, if we will let him. That's where God wants to take us. But we're so busy controlling our lives and saying, I don't want to do this, or I, don't, I do want to do that. And instead of submitting to God's will and being at rest within that, then we actually are destroying these things that God wants to do for us that we find in the 23rd Psalm. So, I want you to uh, listen to just a brief summary from Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, which is one run-on, run-on Greek sentence, verses 3 through 14. It's one sentence that just keeps going on and on. Anyway, it's famous within uh, 
Greek scholars of the Bible, so they know all about that. Anyway, Paul provides us with some very specific gifts from God. And, uh, and these are, I'm just going to list some of them. And he wants us to know that he's rejoicing over these as he's rejoicing over his salvation. And so we're to do the same. So he was rejoicing over the fact that he was blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Every. There's nothing held back. This is what God's doing. And these spiritual blessings are in heavenly places. He'd been chosen, as Jerry prayed this morning, about how in love that uh, God had predestined him from the, with the gift of adoption as the son of God and, and that before the foundation of the world that he was chosen in Christ. So these are different things than that we can be rejoicing in. These are things that are true. And that's what we'd learned in our prayer times and what Paul had written as the context coming into these verses. Finally, think on these things that are true. So these things are all true. And so we see that he had, uh, as he was in Christ, had received the gift of redemption through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sins. He'd obtained the gift of predestined inheritance. He'd received the gift of the Holy Spirit. He was rejoicing over all these gifts from God that he had received as he had taken ownership of them. So through all these different things that he'd suffered that we listed before, he was busy praising God, thanking God for his salvation in the midst of all these outward circumstances. His heart was rejoicing. It's not always easy to do, but Paul had learned this over time. And it brought him to a peace. And so, as he took ownership of these things, these things that he would received, and he believed them in his heart, then every day was Christmas for Paul. I mean, think about that. He's rehearsing these things. Every day is Christmas. Look at all these spiritual gifts I've received. And guess what? Every day can be Christmas for you. Marvelous and wonderful and great. Because your focus is on what you've received from the Lord and the plans he has to go forward and to sanctify you and to have your final destination, being with him in heaven. These are beautiful things. And so when Paul did these things, he rehearsed these things, then, then he became content because it's awfully hard to be discontent when you're thinking about how much you've been blessed. So I encourage you, this is encouragement, you don't have to do this, but I'm sure that if you do it, you will be blessed. As get home this afternoon and each one of you just pull out Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. And on a little piece of paper, just jot down all the things that you've been blessed with. Just write them down and claim them for yourself. And then the next time that you're out of rest, that you're lacking contentment, then pull out your little piece of paper and just start thanking God and rejoicing in your salvation. You might have to command your soul you know, to start with sometimes because some things are pretty hard to deal with. But as you begin to do that, you're going to get in the habit of that and you're going to be blessed and you're going to be more and more content as time unfolds. And so God has lavished his love upon us and he's given us these gifts and so don't forget them. Realize what you've received. Claim what you've already gotten. And then live rejoicing in the fact of what God has done about that. And so you'll find contentment then when you're being brought low.
And Paul was also content because he knew that God was working in him as well as working through him. So God would bring him low for a specific purpose, how he's to love and to serve other people. And so actually going through this trial, then he knew then it was for the purpose of blessing him. Yes, I said blessing him when he's going through a negative circumstance. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. God's not the author of sin, but he does test his, his children, just like he was testing the Israelites coming out of, out of Egypt. But God is refining his children and increasing our Christ-likeness and faith in him by allowing fiery trials in our lives. And so they're intended as a great mercy because they, they cause us to turn to him once again. Some trials, you don't know how to get through them except that he walks with you through them. They're not intended to be a punishment. God is not angry with you when these things are going on. They're intended to help us to grow in Christ's likeness and grow in our dependence on our Lord. And we all, including me, need to grow in greater dependence on our Lord. And then, of course, sanctification is taking place. As I become more dependent, then I can be more useful for him. And he's always going to bring the ability to get through the trial because he's going to be walking with me through it. So these things aren't just God's mad at me. He's not just trying to punish me for something I've done. That's not true at all. That's a lie. And we need to know that, discern the difference. And of course, we're not going to have the same trials and things that Paul had. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. He was under the leading and guiding of God to do something that nobody else in this room was going to have to do. So he needed unique trials for his life and his heart. And so the trials that we face, God has put forth so that as we encounter them, then they're uniquely qualifying you for where he's trying to operate in your heart to help you trust him more. And sometimes that's pretty hard, isn't it? And so we're growing and we're maturing as we're turning to our Lord and our God in these things. And we're learning that we can trust in him with all of our hearts and not lean to our own understanding because we know that our loving Father is leading and guiding us all the way to heaven. He's walking with us. We are the children of the king who cherishes us and loves us more than we can understand or know. He never gets angry with you in the sense that we get angry. And so he's teaching us that we can learn how to be content in our trials. And remember that Jesus was a man of sorrows too. He had to go through his trials his sufferings, and he had to come because he loved us, and he didn't want us to suffer and die a sinner's death, and so he lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. So he suffered for us, that we might have life and lead us home. 
He did that because he wants that loving relationship with you and me be ever more growing in its intimacy. We are his treasure and his sure delight. Hebrews 2.10 following says, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So we're singing God's praise this morning. This is what's going on. Our second point is learning how to be content when you're abounding. Now this might surprise you, but it's more difficult for us, it's for us to be able to be content when we're abounding than we're brought low. And why is that? Because when we're abounding, we're back in control. Pride and all kinds of other things are just operating our lives. And what do we do? We push God aside. I don't need God now. I've got this, Lord. Got all this money in the bank and all these good things. And now I, I just don't need you anymore. And so, abounding is when we're taking control back of our lives. And so, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. There's that content word again. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. But as for you, O Timothy, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So Paul's telling Timothy to flee. Flee from the pursuit of the love of money. Peter mentioned it earlier. <laughs> we have to be careful about money because I've got maybe some new news for some of you. Maybe not old, maybe it's old news for the rest of you, but it's not your money. It's not my money. It's God owns everything. So I'm a steward over what he's entrusted to me. You're a steward over what he's entrusted to you. So the question is, how well am I going to manage my money? Well, God's money on his behalf. It's a challenge, isn't it? And so that's why Paul says to Timothy, flee from the pursuit of the love of money. Nothing wrong with having money, but how do you steward it? How do you steward for, Lord, for the Lord's benefit? We're building a building right now. We needed money to build the building. It's for God's purposes, God's kingdom. So how are we stewarding our money? In this case, God's money. And so, unfortunately, for people that have a lot of money, it acts like a drug. They become drug addicts. 
They believe that money will bring them happiness and contentment. The truth is it does just the opposite. Have you ever seen people that win the big lottery or something? They've done these stories on these people and almost every one of them wind up losing all that money and all these people start coming after them. They've got relatives they didn't even know they had relatives. (laughs) Everybody thinks they can share in that. Relationships are destroyed and they're so sorry that they ever won the lottery. That's by far the common result of somebody wins a lottery. So people that have a lot of money then begin to trust their money instead of trusting God. It's sad. On the surface, it looks like, well, I have a lot of money and it's going to be great blessings this, you know, from this time forward, but it's just the opposite. And so money becomes more important to those that love money, more important than relationships. So they don't spend as much time with their family and their kids, their wives. They're too busy making more money The unfortunate thing is money's never loved anybody. Never will. Jesus taught us to seek first what? Anybody know? Seek first what? Matthew 6, 33? Yeah. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you. Food, clothing, shelter. Got to have our priorities in the right way. And so... So he promises that he'll provide all these things if we'll be thinking about how to build his kingdom, how to use the money that he entrusts us for the building of his kingdom, not to, you know, just gather dust in our savings accounts and and different places we want. In Charles Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol, most of you know this, Ebenezer Scrooge experienced great joy in loving relationships when he stopped loving money. Lord wants us to be radically generous with his money. Great generosity builds good relationships. We come together as we pool our resources and begin to build each other up, take care of one another. I mean, it's what the deacons do, right? They, in, the, in the session too, but the deacons are primarily in, you know, in charge of the, the mercy in the church. So when you give, then you're laying up great treasures for yourself in heaven. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But we need to do it because we want to. We're not trying to manipulate God. Our third sermon point is you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So we see what Paul has experienced (laughs) as he's sitting here writing from this jail. and, And so he has been able to do everything that God's asked him to do because God has strengthened him in order to do that. God has empowered him. He hasn't done it in his own strength. He's done it in God's strength. And so, usually when we have some sort of a negative experience, then our initial reaction is to resist being in that experience. And we have this great flood of powerful negative emotions. So even Paul, I mean, he didn't want to go to jail for four years. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross if there was any other way. We know what he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Out there praying, say, Lord, you know, I'm I'm very anxious about this. I know what I'm going to have to put up with. And if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 
And so that's what we need to be saying a lot. Not my will to solve this thing, not my total concentration to try and get out of this trial before God wants me out of it. He didn't stop the journey in the wilderness with the Israelites at 20 years. He said, no, a full 40. That's what they needed and it wasn't a day too short. It was the perfect amount of time. And so he prepared them then for entering that promised land. So how are we to learn to be content in the midst of constant change and trial? Got a list of a few things here. Kind of summarizing some of the things we've already said. First, we're to rejoice in our salvation and thank him for the great and precious gifts that he's given to us. We're to remember that we're being sanctified as we pass through this life on our way to heaven. Remember that God controls everything and your promised land awaits you with all the treasures that are there. He's gifted us, equipped us uniquely for the calling that he's placed on our lives. And he will strengthen us as needed as we go through that. He doesn't desert us. So he's putting us in unique situations. Everybody in here, as they go out of here, is being placed in unique situations in the relationships you have with the rest of the people in this area, wherever you live, wherever you work. So we have to learn how to be content and accomplish his will through us. We're learning that. We're building the kingdom of God, not my kingdom. Second, we're to pray like Paul prayed. God's always near and he's ready to hear everything his children have to say. And we know last week we talked about how in Revelation 5.8 there's this golden bowl that's in the Holy of Holies and our prayers are going right up into that bowl. And they're like a burning of incense that's wafting up into God's nostrils. He treasures, he treasures those prayers. He wants those prayers because he wants that relationship with us. He wants to hear us talking about what we need. He wants his children identifying where it is that they're hurting and, and he's ready to answer our prayers. And we know that the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus when we do that. So as we go through that trial, he's going to be with us through that. He's going to be praying for us. Jesus intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. God the Father is praying for us. And third, we are to practice self-denial like Jesus did when he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So we should focus on gaining the treasures of heaven and not the treasures of this world. Fourth, we're to remember that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us because we're to walk in Jesus' strength, not our own strength. This can be hard. And so we're not, we're not to take control back of our lives. So how do we do that? Well, we, we talk about like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways in the midst of that trial, and he's going to make your path straight. So our trust is going into the Lord. Our faith is the Lord's in control. He's taking care of this. I may not understand it. It says, lean not to my own understanding, right? I don't understand it at times. Many times I won't understand it, but he's at work, and he's creating Christ-likeness in me. He knows my situation. He's allowed the situation and he's going to exert his power and his love 
and that situation in my life, whatever it might be. And so doing that, he will glorify himself through our weakness. He'll glorify himself through our weakness. Paul said, I'm content. There's that word again, with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. In other words, when God's in charge, things are going well. When I'm in charge, things aren't going to go so well. So turning to Christ and trusting in his plan, his presence, his love, and his power changes everything in your life. You'll be content. So remember what Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 6? Such a beautiful verse. I'm sure of this, he said. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Surely, he's going to do that for each one of us. His strength, his power, his love operating in us and through us will bring us to that point. Heaven will be ours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word, for this encouragement, Lord, that you've given us and how we can learn to be content in life's trials. We know that you're at work. We praise you for that and we delight in you now for that work. And we know where our our end result is going to be. It's going to be with you in heaven forever. In Jesus' name, amen.